0: Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Norman Lear, an icon of American television, is set to turn 100 years old on July 27th. The producer of All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Maud, and One Day at a Time, among other hits, revolutionized the medium by venturing into areas that previously had been off-limits in the pre-cable and streaming era, and entertaining people at the same time. Jim McCairns, an adjunct professor in the Department of Media Arts, teaches a class called The History of American Television at MTSU, and he is the author of All in the Decade, Seventy Things About Seventies TV That Turned Ten Years Into a Revolution. So he is amply qualified to assess Lear's impact on the medium and his program's impact on society. He'll do so after this.
1: Here are some of the headlines making news at MTSUNews.com, the university's news and information website. Recent MTSU graduate Isaac Weiner of Medina, Tennessee, near Jackson, was commissioned as a second lieutenant recently in a special ceremony at the Donald McDonald hangar at MTSU's Flight Operations Center at Murfreesboro Airport. Commissioning ceremonies are a tradition for students in platoon leaders class, that's the Marines version of ROTC, as they transition from the university to being a member of the military and serving their country. An aerospace professional pilot major and certified flight instructor, Wainer will report to Quantico, Virginia for six months of basic school. As a pilot, he'll eventually move to the Naval Air Station at Pensacola, Florida, for flight training. And, to commemorate MTSU's recent elevation to R2, high research activity, the College of Graduate Studies is offering a limited-time, reduced $2 application fee for domestic students applying for the fall 2022 semester. The offer, almost a $50 savings, serves as one of the many features that attracts new students to seeking an advanced degree or training at MTSU. Education options range from taking courses as a non-degree student to earning certificates, master's, specialist, and doctoral degrees. For MTSU news at any time, go to mtsunews.com.
0: Jim, it's nice to meet you and thank you for being our guest.
2: Thank you so much for asking.
0: Let's delve into your history a little before we get into Norman Lears. You teach the history of American television at MTSU. Before that, you were in the industry for 30 years, including 15 years
2: as an executive at CBS. Can you elaborate a little bit about your career? I had a publishing background, a journalism background, and a journalism degree from the East Coast. And I eventually made my way to the West Coast because I wanted to work in television. I ultimately met Norman Lear, who introduced me to the president of CBS, and I went through some machinations about uh, applying and ended up with a job at CBS for the better part of 15 years. I did 30 overall in Los Angeles in various capacities mostly the 15 years were at CBS. What were you responsible for as an executive? I had split my time originally between what's known as current programming. Uh, that Current programming oversees all the shows currently on the air, hence the, the name. And I had a role inside of current programming, but chiefly I had a role in uh, program planning and scheduling back when that had both more of a purpose and value and where shows go and what the research says about cancellation and uh, the future of certain shows. So most of the time at CBS, I ended up devoting essentially and solely to scheduling and planning.
0: Now about Norman Lear, before producing his own shows, he was a comedy writer
2: himself. What was his background in that field? He found himself entering the business as a press agent and uh, uh, found himself also more and more uh, intrigued by television as it sort of was introduced in the early 1950s. So television was developing and he took an interest in that and he ultimately became a, uh, was introduced to the right people at the right time and ended up becoming a writer on uh, what was then uh, the Colgate Comedy Hour. And he uh, wrote for uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis on television and then also wrote for them when they did public appearances and when they went on the road. So that was essentially his first hook into television. He ended up uh, subsequent to that, working with uh, George Gobel, with Martha Ray, all these big names from the 1950s, uh, and television was inviting famous stars from radio and elsewhere to help populate its growing medium. Um, Norman Lear had a front seat with each of those names. How did Lear ultimately convince network executives to take
0: a chance on this show about a working class bigot with a hippie son in
2: law called All on the Family? By the time the show Uh, Came to his attention in the mid 1960s, mid to late 1960s. He had achieved a level of clout. He had gone back and forth with different shows, uh, but he had a level of clout in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, in television. He was also beginning to work in feature films as well, and he became interested in a a premise called Till Death You Part, which was a British show, a hit British show, beginning in the 1962-63, right around that area, which was the progenitor, the basis, the premise uh, for All in the Family was rooted in this um, uh, British hit. And he bought the rights to it. He saw his future in it, but he also saw his past in it because the character of, his, of the father in this show uh, reminded him of his rascal of a father. He really identified with uh, this show. Uh, he had partners. He had many people he was involved with at the time in television and in film. And ultimately, uh, he pitched it—a uh, TV version of it—to um, originally ABC.
0: Why would the networks, which are uh, not exactly the known for their risk-taking, take a chance, go out on a limb with a show that would uh, use so many pejorative words to describe ethnic groups? that would uh, enable Archie Bunker, the main character, to voice so many controversial and uneducated and ill-informed opinions.
2: How how do you get network executives to go for that? Well, you don't, actually, because ABC rejected it twice. There was a pilot at ABC. Originally, it was called Justice for All because the lead character, Archie Bunker, his name was Archie Justice. Uh, The premise was the same, but the cast was different. Carol O'Connor and Gene Stapleton were in it. Um, He knew of Gene Stapleton and uh, he met with Carol O'Connor and he knew that this person was, I'm putting words in his mouth, but he knew this person was his father. And ABC uh, got the, reviewed the pilot and they said, no, we can't put this on the air. They ordered a second pilot, ABC did. They kept Carol O'Connor and Gene Stapleton and brought in a new uh, daughter, Gloria, and a new son-in-law, Mike. Uh, In that case, the show was retitled. Those were the days. Uh, And ABC liked it, uh, but they said, we can't put this on the air. And it's not so much the words. Of course, the words were at issue, but they're not of issue the way that words are parsed and become issues in and of themselves today. It was very much of a raw and unfiltered look at a very conservative, strong-willed, unlikable hero. Well, he certainly had many, many pejoratives that he came to use, and he was a bigot but he was also just in, in general, if you wanna take a sky high, more aerial look, he was just not a likable character uh, as much as he was mitigated or that lack of likability was mitigated by his beautiful Christian, wonderful, supportive, loving spouse, Gene Stapleton, who played uh, Edith. And, and then we can get into the conflict that he had with his son-in-law at all times. And that part in, uh, sort of became a little bit too raw, what was reflective perhaps too much of what was going on in the country in the late 1960s that generational divide, that generational discourse that was always, seems to be always about arguing. Because don't forget, Lucy was still on the air in 1968. Uh, Dragnet was still on the air. Ed Sullivan was still on the air. All these shows have their roots in radio. It's not a derogatory word for me to call them fairly primitive, they were. So ABC finally uh, uh, said, we'll we'll, we'll give the pilot back to you. And in both of those cases, by the way, uh, Norman Lear insisted that the pilot be shot has written. So he would take no concessions as to altering either the language or the attitude. CBS ultimately said, we'll buy it. I think CBS wanted to take some chances. A lot of those were being taken in 1969. And CBS ordered a third pilot. There was a third iteration of the cast, which is the cast that we come to know. We'll take a break right here. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle East-centered MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, center director.
1: For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com.
0: Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE advisor.
1: For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com.
0: Our guest is Jim McCairns, who is an adjunct professor in the MTSU Department of Media Arts. What was the
2: backlash to All in the Family like? Did many affiliates refuse to air it? In Norman Lear's book and in other accounts, there seems to be no defection of affiliates, which actually came to be quite common in the 70s, but not for this show. They did air it with a disclaimer that apparently Norman Lear did not know about because he said, I will not change anything about the show. For this third iteration on CBS, he would not change the script. And that was as much about he knew his script was good and he also didn't want to set a, sta- set a precedent for capitulation. So there was a bit of artistic license and a bit of stubbornness, which actually is to his credit, and it actually influenced a lot of his work, which influenced television as we know it. What they did, though, was they scheduled it quite strangely after *Haw*. I think one of the one of the words used for it affectionately is cornpone. It's very sort of uh, country with almost a K. Great music, and the comedy was very sticky. It's almost rooted in vaudeville in a way. It was very sort of broad. Beverly Hillbillies led into hee-haw, and led into the premiere of All in the Family on January 12th, 1971. It really didn't have a prayer. They began with a disclaimer that Archie, that, I'm sorry, Norman didn't know about, and it said, more or less, the program you're about to see is an exaggeration of one man, and it pokes fun of our frailties and our prejudices, and it's meant to be taken with humor. It was very low-rated. It continued to be low-rated. It was a mid-season replacement, so in this season where it was only on for had enough original episodes to begin at mid-season, what were the seasons back then, which was like January through March or April. It was okay reviewed. Uh, The CBS research, by the way, was poor. They predicted nobody would watch and it would also have a very short history. Carol O'Connor had a house or an apartment at the time in Italy and he said, I'm not giving up my residence in Italy because you know I'll I'll need to come back to it. The show won't last. It was pretty dicey for a while as it sort of found its audience mostly during the rerun season of 1971, when summers were a whole different beast and any show that was popular uh, had been seen already and shows that were not were airing against reruns that perhaps people didn't wanna see again. And so people started finding All in the Family. This happened at the same time that it also swept the Emmy Awards for that season. So the combination of more visibility against reruns and the Emmy Awards it won sort of turned it into the hit that it became and thereafter remained. They did man the phones uh, on both coasts. They added extra operators for irate phone calls, and there really weren't any.
0: Were there any campaigns to try to get it off the air or boycott advertisers?
2: That was happening in the early 70s, but not necessarily for this show. If there were, they were smaller ones, but that was never an issue the way it was for something like Norman Lear's Maud.
0: I always found it fascinating that right-wing fundamentalists said Lear was anti-Christian. He said, always said that Edith Bunker was the answer to the question, what would Jesus do? Because she was so kind. And there was this two-parter I remember when her cross-dressing friend Beverly was murdered just because she was different. Edith lost her faith in God and stopped going to church. But it was Mike, her son-in-law, who was an
2: atheist, who helped her snap out of her depression. The episode you refer to, Edith's Crisis of Faith was something I literally just finished uh, writing about. And uh, I'm I'm trying to write about iconic programming from 1977, which is when that aired. And when I think television sort of became the future that it is today. It was a beautifully, beautifully written episode. Edith was never less than a wonderful Christian woman. You see that in the pilot. They're coming home from church in the pilot episode. And it took the death of this cross-dressing character, Beverly LaSalle, to make her question, how can there be a God if people can be this mean? Uh, Mike does end up being the one to bring her back into the fold, and I'm betting that was intentional in many ways, because Mike, his quote was, Ma, if there is a God, you're one of the most beautiful and decent and kind people he ever made. He said, Ma, we need you. That ended up sort of being what brought her, you're right, out of her depression, and it was significant. And the wildness is that this aired not just at Christmas time, but it was a two-part episode that concluded on Christmas Eve. That's a boldness that a lot of television wouldn't have today. There was always an element of Christianity in the, forgive me for saying this, it's not the right word, but in the generic sense of do unto others as they would do unto, unto you. And when Archie was mean, bigoted, angry. It was revealed as lack of education or fear or fear of aging or fear of changing or fear of the society moving on without him. And there was an element of how can you say one thing about one person and have that apply to an entire race? There's a lot of Christianity, I felt, that was the subtext uh, of Uh, All in the Family. It came and it went and there were better episodes than others, better seasons than others. But there is an element of Christianity throughout the show. It just was a show that also tackled real world issues. And so the reflex when you hear something you're not used to hearing or that makes you uncomfortable is to criticize the messenger. And I think that's where a lot of the invectives against him came from
0: respond to the uh, uh, assertion that has been made by some people through the years that a lot of people tuned into All in the Family to hear their own bigoted viewpoints reaffirmed by Archie Bunker, as opposed to laughing at him.
2: Yeah, that's been a trope for about 50 years, and Lear discusses it a little bit, perhaps, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it was designed to look at the frailties of the man. And I don't know that he ever he being Norman Lear ever set out to convert bigotry, perhaps just to expose it. Although I would like to be part of a conversation then or now with somebody who would say, you know what, that supposition is correct. Because when I watched the show, I watched it because I hated black people. And it told me that hating black people was a good thing to do or a right thing to do or a reasonable thing to do. I think that's a very uh, common theory I would like to be part of that conversation because I can't imagine that being the question with even the most ardent of bigots that they would say, thanks to All in the Family, my bigotry was affirmed.
0: And since networks care about ratings and advertising dollars with the success of All in the Family, Lear had leverage to spin off other programs. Could you just briefly describe some of those and the impact they had?
2: The first and most controversial was Maud. The Beatrice Arthur character Maud had appeared in All in the Family Uh, She was Edith Bunker's cousin. She was, for lack of gentler way of saying it, she was the anti-Archie. And she came to the house and we saw uh, an anti-Archie and we saw a very powerful performance. We saw some great comedy. We saw that she could be as strident in her anti-Archiness as Archie could be in his Archiness. And the story is that from day one on the set, CBS said there's a spinoff there. So they brought her back for a second episode that was sort of a planted spinoff. It was took Archie and Edith to Maud's home in Tuckahoe, New York, and the action took place as sort of a, a what would be a Maud episode. It just had Archie and Edith in it, and it served as sort of a pilot, and then it came back that September. Its ratings were sky high from the beginning. It did tap into a zeitgeist, which was the women's identity movement, the women's liberation movement, the empowerment, the gender uh, discussion that was part of the national dialogue in the 1970s. So it was the right show at the right time Uh, with that leverage and clout, Norman Lear and, and, and the writers and producers, other producers, gave Maud a lot more to wrestle with. They took on abortion in the eighth episode, perhaps. The show began in September of 1972. Suddenly, there's a two-part abortion episode in November of 1972. For a show to tackle controversy, let alone a hot-button topic like abortion, is unimaginable. And when I worked at CBS as recently as 20 years ago, there was a movie of the week we did, and there was just the mention of abortion. No pro-con, no one character experiencing it, just the mention of the word that began with the letter A and we had to take the word out. And that was in the 2000s, 30 30 years after Maud. But in this case, Maud at 48 found herself pregnant and there begat an internal discussion in the family in that episode as to whether she would carry the baby and she agreed not to. It took on the abortion while Roe v. Wade was still being litigated. The Roe v. Wade decision was not, had not even happened. It wouldn't happen until January of 1973. Well, it's the power of Norman Lear and the power of what was his empire at the time. With another partner, he, um, uh, earlier that year in 1972, uh, brought Sanford and Son to television, to NBC. In 1974, he spun off a show from Maud, he spun off a show called Good Times because Maud had a housekeeper, a Black housekeeper named Florida Evans, and she proved to be very popular. Uh, She had a husband who came on in one episode. They had good chemistry together, and so the two of them were spun off into their own show, but she ended up in Chicago with her family, and her husband, played by John Amos. And he did a spinoff, another spinoff of All in the Family, called The Jeffersons, which began in 1975. And then there was One Day at a Time in 1975. In those five years, from January of 1971 to December of 1975, he did pretty well. For another break, we'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the Record.
1: Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE, The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of Fire. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com.
0: We're talking about Norman Lear, who will turn 100 years old this year, the uh, television producer of All in the Family and numerous other sitcoms, with Jim McCairns, who is an adjunct professor in the MTSU Department of Media Arts, and he teaches a class at MTSU called The History of American Television. One of Lear's more interesting flops was Palmerstown, USA, which he co-created with Alex Haley. Uh, It didn't last long. Why wasn't it more successful?
2: I remember that show as being big, uh, not as big as its headlines. Let's put it that way. I think when you got right down to it, it was a noble idea and it was top heavy because it was Norman Lear working with Alex Haley, then Alex Haley at the peak of his own power. I don't know that there was really much of a show there. And perhaps there just wasn't a whole lot of interest in the premise of life in Palmerstown. Because there, unless there was the Waltons or Little House on the Prairie, one hour, eight o'clock dramas were hard to pull off uh, even when they were made period. And there were several that were made in the uh, immediate wake of the Waltons that did not work. Palmerstown USA was about the friendship between, um, an interracial friendship between boys. And I think ultimately, once people decided, wow, I'll check this out, or here's an interesting show. uh, Certainly the creative auspices are interesting. Ultimately, I don't think there was a lot of there there. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't get to this in my own research yet, but I'm fairly certain it aired opposite happy days uh, on Tuesday nights, which would have been uh, very, very, very difficult to uh, break through and get any any attention for, even in a three-network universe. Lear also tried to uh,
0: expand the American dialogue with the People for the American Way. Tell
2: us about that organization. Wow, you did good research. I think you you might be the one wanting to teach this class when I'm done. (laughs) Um, People for the American Way was his 1980s answer to uh, getting more involved in activism and political causes, not that he hadn't been, but taking a break from television and getting more involved in that. And the the notion of the American way uh, is what sort of inspired this. And it's, it's something he's been interested in for decades at this point and ultimately decided to devote this nonprofit to an exposition and discussion and a celebration of the American way. Out of that came a special called I Love Liberty. And a lot of his TV projects, even with power and clout and leverage, still involved some nervousness on the part of the networks. And if I recall correctly, that title had to be recalibrated here and there. And the title that was agreed on was Liberty because that didn't seem to be a title that offended anyone. People for the American Way is still around. And it is uh, what would be considered a all-purpose, uh, non denominational nonprofit that celebrates the cores of the American way. I do think there was an even handedness behind a lot of his work, television and otherwise, that uh, is worth noting because even in the Maud episode, to acknowledge what, but uh, he brought in somebody who didn't believe in abortion, a neighbor. He introduced for that episode, a neighbor who was pregnant with her fifth child that she really couldn't afford. And in a conversation with Maud, it did not become a polemic or a, or, a, or a discussion even. It was just acknowledged that she, in this, her fifth pregnancy, that she could she and her husband could not afford. There was no alternative, but to have this child. This child is already loved. This child is already a part of her. It wasn't even an issue that she wouldn't have it. And it didn't hit you over the head, but it brought in a very, uh, obvious and clear alternative to thinking without becoming, um, a documentary, uh, of the times. She says to him, tell me I'm doing the right thing. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing to her husband. And he says, uh, Maude, between us in the privacy of our own lives, I think you're doing the right thing. It probably has more to offer the debate than any of the yelling and screaming going on in decades to come.
0: Jim McGarren, thank you for being our guest today on MTSU on the Record.
2: Thank you very much for asking. We'll be right back. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers' camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com.
1: The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TARA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TARA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and seven nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information,
2: go to mtsunews.com.
0: Gina Fan has the middle moment.
2: MTSU is making connections to preserve those great family stories that have been flavoring community gatherings like Hickory Smoke and Peach Cobbler for generations. The Albert Gore Research Center is using its portion of a new grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities to collect oral histories from African-American residents of Middle Tennessee. Research associate Jason McGowan has been thrilled to hear from the people who've shared their tales with the Middle Tennessee African-American Oral History Project.
1: What we're doing here is not just for MTSU, it's not just for academia, but it's for you're simply allowing us to share in your experiences. This oral history just provides a, a medium to preserve family genealogy and re- record one's relationship with their families, with their communities, and, and with the era in which they live. Oral histories are an account of one's interaction with history. You can read a paragraph about the civil rights, but it's going to mean something much different when you hear a story about someone who was affected by it one way or another.
0: That's MTSU on the Record.
2: I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.